Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. Hour number two of Extra Point on this Monday, June 5th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. We'll make room for you around 11.15 with phone call time. 602-260-1060 is the number if you'd like to join. As we typically do to start hour number two, though, let's reset uh, the poll questions, and we'll start with the KDOS1060.com poll question, which was the bigger reason Miami won game two, the options better effort than Denver or making shots and the masses so far are on better effort at 60% making shots trailing at 40% of the vote. We cover a little of both of these answers, uh, you know, possibilities for that answer, depending on how you like to vote in the first hour. Uh, in addition, uh, I wasn't that surprised that Miami won the game. Or excuse me. I wasn't that surprised that they covered the number. I was surprised they won the game. Uh, what was the number? Did it close at eight, eight and a half? It did. I mean, it was as high as nine, but uh, you know, there was uh, you know, quite a bit of uh, late action on the heat in the last couple hours before tip-off last night. Uh, we'll answer that question around 1130. Flipping this on over to Twitter at KDOS AM 1060. Uh, do you approve of the Suns hiring Frank Vogel? The masses continue to be out on front on the yes side of things at 66.7% of the vote. No trailing at 33.3%. Yeah, and this is one thing that we covered in uh, many NBA topics, not just the finals, but uh, some coaching uh uh, moves in the last you know, week or so. We covered that uh, all uh, with Sean Devaney of Heavy.com in the, the uh, Sports Zone today. And we'll answer that question as well around 1130. Let's dive into the Arizona Diamondbacks and first start with the news for their manager, Tori Lovello. Uh, extended him uh, one season, so his contract now goes through 2024. If I'm not mistaken, he's uh, continually gotten these one-year extensions. And based upon how the Diamondbacks have started this season, 35 and 25, do you like this move or do you think it was time to extend him further than one season i'm for the i wouldn't be opposed if they did the further than one season but also it seems to be uh i don't know if this was the you know the entire plan but it is definitely in concert uh with general manager mike hazen's contract they both now run out after the 2024 season is currently constructed then you come to what the Diamondbacks did over the weekend. It will start Friday as they were hosting the Braves uh, in that first game of the series. It was a 3-2 to two win for the D-backs with Merrill Kelly on the mound. Seven innings pitched, five hits, two runs, three walks, and eight strikeouts. Uh, certainly, that's back to being a little bit more like Merrill Kelly. Well, he's been like Merrill Kelly for seven or eight starts now. He's been tremendous, uh, dominating it sometimes. And I think that's a really good pitching performance against the Braves offense. And certainly uh, he and the Diamondbacks benefited some from really some horrendous base running from Atlanta. 
uh, Acuna you know, over sliding second base and being called out. And I don't know what the hell Matt Olson was doing uh, when he rounded third base and uh, was you know, given the stop sign by Ron Washington and didn't quite recognize that he was given the stop sign until it was too late. But yeah, those two plays were really, really helpful in Merrill Kelly's victory. Uh, then you have Saturday here, a 5-2 to two loss. Ryan Nelson got the start, four and two-thirds innings pitch, six hits, three runs, four walks. When we were talking about this series on Friday, uh, before it all got underway, you know, the expectation here was that Merrill Kelly has a good start, then we look at Sunday's start, but that uh, Saturday was a toss-up with what Ryan Nelson was going to do. Well, I didn't think it was a toss-up. I thought it was, uh, you know, in fact, I mentioned it was going to be a uh, you know, a huge favor with Spencer Strider on the mound for the for the Braves, and I believe that number went as high as minus 180 uh, before first pitch on Saturday. Uh, Nelson is he should not be in any starting major league rotation, but the Diamondbacks at this point appear to have no other choice, and he was bad on Sunday night. I see me Saturday night. Uh, the three runs on six hits doesn't look terrible. The three runs especially, but he walked four. Didn't strike out anybody, and he's had he's won one start since the second week of the season. Uh, then you had Sunday, another loss, eight to five. It was Zach Allen, six innings, nine hits, three runs, one walk, six strikeouts. But the loss goes to Miguel Castro, who gave up the grand slam in the ninth. Well, at yeah, first he loaded the bases. Uh, he started this you know, the inning clean and. Uh, uh, he started with a walk, and uh, I'm still not positive whether that was a bad slider or a fastball uh, on the home run from Rosario. Uh, Zach Gallen, uh still undefeated at home, and he put them in position to win. He uh, really battled to make it through six innings against, once again, one of baseball's best lineups. Uh, gave up three runs. Two of those were earned. I'll get to the defense in a minute. Uh, one walk, six strikeouts. He was he was he was fine. Uh, like I said, he battled his way to get through six innings. He had to throw 110 pitches, which is the most he's thrown this season, the second highest in his career. The bad defense, which has not been the case often for the Diamondbacks, in fact, their defense has been really good. Not good on Saturday. Excuse you know, me. I get my days mixed up here. Sunday, uh, Herrera made the air. And Paven Smith is just not good in right field, which we pointed out more than once. Uh, he made two bad plays. Uh, he certainly missed plays in right field, and that extended uh, Kelly's pit, uh, I mean, uh, excuse me, Gallon's pitch count even more because of the bad defense. So they go one and two in the series against the Braves here. Their NLS standings, though, they remain tied with the Dodgers at 35 and 25 atop of the NLS. Then the Giants sitting at 29 and 30, the Padres 27 and 32, and the Rockies 26 and 35. So how did we get here? Well, the Dodgers had a three-game series with the Yankees. The Dodgers won Friday 8 to 4, which was Clayton Kershaw's outing, seven-inning pits pitched. Four hits, two runs, one walk, and nine strikeouts. And they lost to the Yankees on Saturday, 6-3. to three. That was a Garrett Cole start. And Sunday to the Yankees, which was a Bobby Miller start, who was great for the Dodgers, but uh, the bullpen did not hold up. That's true. Let's go back to Friday night. Kershaw you know, had some control issues in a couple of starts, but he's now allowed two earned runs or fewer in eight games this season. 
Uh, Cole pitched the six shutout innings on Sunday. Excuse me, Saturday. God, I keep getting my days mixed up here. Uh, But uh, he left because of some cramps. And then on Sunday, Miller was terrific. The Dodgers' bullpen, which has been pretty much good this season, uh, was not good. They allowed runs in each of the last three innings. Then you have the big home run in uh, the ninth inning kind of sealed the victory there. As far as the Yankees are concerned, not the greatest weekend for them, even though they win two out of three. Nestor Cortez, the latest pitcher to go on the injured list. I don't think that's quite official yet, but he's going to go on the injured list uh, before their next game. Uh, with a shoulder problem, uh, the, the speculation he's only going to miss a couple of starts, you know, which would cover the, the 15 days on the injured list. But they're already short on starting pitchers, as we've talked about literally since before the season even began. We knew that was going to be a problem. Aaron Judge unavailable last night because he slammed through the bullpen gate and injured his foot on Saturday. And uh, the thought is that he will not go back on the injured list, but uh, I don't think that's a a for sure thing. Uh, The Yankees return home this week and play a series against the White Sox and the Red Sox. Uh, Then you have the Padres. They're actually going to be wrapping up the fourth game of the series against the Cubs tonight uh, as they are currently down uh, looking to even that series up with tonight's game. But Blake Snell is going for the Padres, who's 1-6, 4.50 ERA, 61 strikeouts, versus Kyle Hendricks, 0-1, 3.86 ERA, 8 strikeouts. Yeah, some more uh, inept offense from the Padres over the weekend, which is kind of a continuation of what we've seen all season long. Uh, you know, they added Gary Sanchez last week, and I think the most interesting thing for the Padres this weekend is that Gary Sanchez, who's considered by, I think, everybody to be a really poor defensive catcher, he actually caught you Darvish, who has been very selective of who his catchers have been over the years. And it actually worked out pretty well uh, for one game at least. So we'll see if that continues. But they're so desperate for offense that you know they kind of bypassed the Sanchez defensive bad defense history uh, to just get a bat in the lineup. And uh, you know that's uh, it worked out uh, you know against Florida last Thursday. Sanchez uh, you know got three or four hits and hit a home run. Uh, so we'll see if it lasts long term. But for at least one night, it worked out okay pitching-wise for Darvish. Uh, then you have the Blue Jays sweeping the Mets. Uh, Chris Bassett was unreal, seven and two-thirds, three hits, eight strikeouts uh, in his start against Justin Verlander. Uh, six innings pitched, five hits, one run, three walks, and eight strikeouts for Verlander. Yeah, the Bassett start was interesting because he actually learned right before the game that his wife in Toronto was going into labor. Also, it was a revenge game for Bassett against the Mets. If they're, I don't think that's necessarily, you know, that they you know, agreed to part the ways. And, you know, he got a better deal in Toronto, uh, so he left. But uh, it was against his former team. Uh, but, yeah, you know, he actually, as soon as he, he actually you know, got through the game and immediately uh, went to the airport and flew back to Toronto. Uh, then you have the uh, Rays that took two of three over the Red Sox. And I want to make sure I give full credit here to Mary, who tweeted into the program here. Uh, here you go, Bob. The Rays are 18-8 and eight versus Boston the last two seasons. She yeah. even has the splits here, 13-1 and one at home, 5-7 and seven at Fenway Park. 
Right, including I think it's six and one this season, and they play again today because they're still trying to dodge the rain. Uh, they got rained. They were actually rained out in a, in a, in a game in April, so they were going to play a doubleheader this weekend anyway. Then they got rained out on Friday night. Then they actually did play a doubleheader, which was completely dodging rain for two games. And then they were both supposed to have an off day today, but they are playing at 1 o'clock today in Fenway, so they don't fall further, fall further behind the schedule. Uh, then you have the Astros taking three of four over the Angels. You have Otani in his start on Friday. Six innings, nine hits, five runs, one walk, six strikeouts, and two home runs that he gave up in that contest. Yeah, and you know, I'll continually point this out. He has not been you know, a consistently good starting pitcher for several weeks now. And, you know, we're not ever supposed to think bad about Otani. He's supposed to be, you know, the, the, you know he's the great two-way player. Actually hasn't hit that well this year either uh, in large pockets. And, you know, talking like a pocket means like a month. Uh, so he hasn't been great so far. Uh, but, you know, the Astros just continue to you know, kick butt here. Uh, they're, 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 uh, they've lost, they won uh, 18 of the last 24 games. They now start a series at Toronto, which, as you mentioned, swept the uh, Mets over the weekend in New York. So that'll be much hyped, I'm sure. But uh, we'll see how that goes. But, you know, the Angels, uh, you know, Texas is really good. Houston's a defending champion. And, you know, Seattle, I think, is actually better than the – I think the only team in the, in the American League – in the American League uh, – in the American League West that the Angels are better than is Oakland, which is like the worst team this century, literally. Uh, speaking of the Astros, they are taking on the Blue Jays today, and it's going to be a Brandon Bylock start. Two and two, 3.19 ERA, 28 strikeouts, and Alec Manoa for the Blue Jays, who's uh, still struggling. One and six, 5.46 ERA, 48 strikeouts. Yeah, he made it through four innings the other day, and they took him out because uh, he was effective, and they seemed to be happy that he made it through four innings. He leads the world in walks so far. I'm, I'm not sure if he leads the world, but he's walked a ton of hitters this season. Had a lot of problems with the pitch clock. A lot of people think it's because he's not in peak physical condition, and the uh, you know the sped up pitch clock has really affected him. I think there's certainly something to that. So we'll see. I think Manoa. I'm not. A, I've never been a big, at least this year, not on the Rangers. Excuse me, the Rangers, the uh, Blue Jays bandwagon. But uh, yeah, Manoa. If they're going to do anything this year, long term, he's going to have to figure it out. Uh, we will get to your calls on the other side of the break. If you'd like to chime in, 602-260-1060 is the number. In addition to that, uh, Mike Jones of The Athletic, he put together one pressing question for every new offensive play caller in 2023. And while the Arizona Cardinals fall on this list as they have a new offensive play caller in Drew Petzing. And I was actually surprised at how many new offensive play callers there actually are in a 32-team league. 15 new offensive play callers uh, are going to take the reins for their clubs this season. So we'll dive into a few of those on the other side of the break as well. It is the extra point right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS 1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It is the extra point.
We'll do what's best for the team, and we'll do what's best for you. The Rich Eisen Show, coming to you weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Here on KDUS AM 1060 and KDUS1060.com. 11.23 on this Monday, June 5th. It is the Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com, and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. 602-260-1060 is the number if you'd like to join the program here. Mike Jones of The Athletic, he put together one pressing question for every new offensive play caller in 2023. And uh, the Arizona Cardinals, they're on this list as new offensive coordinator Drew Petzing is at the helm. Uh, the question here for Mike Jones is, can the first-year coordinator maximize Kyler Murray's gifts? Jones says Murray has shown flashes of greatness but has fizzled down the stretch of multiple seasons as defenses figured out Kingsbury schemes and injuries took their toll on Murray. I might push back just a little bit on this question here. I don't know if you have the same sentiment is that this should be the overall objective but the question is when will Kyler be ready to go so maybe it's uh, not really going to see itself transition into the year 2023 that maybe it's more of are we going to see a development of film watching are we going to see a development of uh, a, a game and viewing the game through a different lens first and then see how it translates onto the field later just because we don't really know when Kyler's coming back I agree with all of what you just said there totally I'll add to that, I think a better question, no, I don't know Mike at all, but no offense to Mike here, but I think the better question would be, no matter who the quarterback is, will the offensive line block anybody? Yeah, because uh, there's certainly been some question marks about who is going to be available on the offensive line. You're integrating uh, Paris Johnson as well. So there's, there's a lot there as well for the offensive line to be much improved to what we saw last season. Uh, number two is the Baltimore Ravens, and they have Todd Munkin as their new offensive coordinator. Uh, his question here is, can Munkin help Lamar Jackson regain his MVP form and reach another level as a passer? Uh, I think as well, how different different is Munkin's offense going to be versus Greg Roman's offense? Lamar has expressed that he wants to run less and throw more. Yeah, Todd was with, uh, among other things, obviously was with Georgia the last couple years and won two national championships in college football. Was also uh, in Tampa uh, back in the day with Dirk Cutter as the head coach there. Uh, I'm sure that if it doesn't work out uh, in Baltimore with Lamar, that that'll be you know, Munkin's fault and nothing to do with Lamar not being able to throw accurate passes. Number three, the Carolina Panthers, Frank Wright. He's also the head coach as well. The question, what will Bryce Young's NFL acclimation look like? And maybe a secondary question here is, will Young be tasked with starting right away? I would say the second part of that question is if uh, he's not starting, they really screwed up. Uh, the first part of that question, I think, is uh, you know, really legitimate, and uh, we'll see. Um, my biggest question about him until further, you know, pr until you know, unless I'm proved wrong, and I don't think the only, I, mean, I don't think I'm the only one asking this, is he too short to be a, a, a good starting NFL quarterback? We've seen guys that are, you know, under six feet that have been effective, but we've seen some other guys, including Kyler Murray, 
who has been you know, he basically ha- can't throw to the middle of the field because he can't see over the offensive and defensive linemen. Uh, then you have number four, the Dallas Cowboys with Mike McCarthy. Can McCarthy lead a more effective offense and help Dak Prescott get his groove back is the question. Um, I see this as a lot of pressure on McCarthy. I think getting rid of Kellen Moore saved Mike McCarthy's job. Uh, so now the questions are, can he produce? In addition to that, um, will we see more of like a Green Bay offense 2.0 or will he... I guess, develop a little bit. I have no idea what we're going to see, but uh, based on what I saw from Dak Prescott quotes this morning, he's certainly in favor of Mike McCarthy running the offense and didn't seem to be the biggest Kellen Moore fan. Uh, Then we have number five on the list, also head coach, Denver Broncos, Sean Payton. The question here from Mike Jones, can the well-respected coach help Russell Wilson recapture the magic? Uh, I guess if you're a Denver Broncos fan, you have to hope that it was the scheme and not Wilson who has become a complete shell of himself. That's also true. Uh, two things. One, I think is kind of uh, all but forgotten is the uh, you know the Broncos were another team which had massive and major and multiple offensive line injuries. So maybe it wasn't totally on Wilson last year. And the other thing, over the weekend, it was reported that uh, Wilson turned down a trade to go to the Eagles before he ended up with the Broncos. Interesting. Um, Yeah, because he had the ability to say where he wanted to go because he had a no-trade clause. And and Correct. And also, Jalen Hurts had a decent end to the 2021 season when all that supposedly took place. Six on this list here from Mike Jones with The Athletic. It is the Houston Texans. Uh, Bobby Slowick is the new offensive coordinator. Can the first-year play caller coach up a rookie quarterback and direct a unit all on his own? There's certainly a lot there uh, with firsts coming for the Houston Texans. Uh, Slowick comes from the Kyle Shanahan tree, uh, so obviously there's a lot offensively there. Can he help C.J. Stroud uh, become the guy? Certainly, the system fits the quarterback because, as I said many times before the draft, that I don't think there was a more accurate quarterback at all three levels, you know, intermediate, short, deep, et cetera, whatever, uh, than Stroud was in college last year, maybe really the last few years in college. Uh, however, this is another organization in Houston that has massive offensive line questions. Indianapolis Colts, it's also head coach Shane Steichen. Can the first-year head coach handle play-calling duties in addition to all of his other head coaching responsibilities? Uh, A couple of different questions here. Will they start Gardner Minshew or will it be Anthony Richardson right away? And secondly, Steichen is coming into this role with the Colts after he got the offensive coordinator position because his former boss and Nick Sirianni with the Eagles uh, handed the play-calling duties over to him and decided to kind of become more of an overseer, and then that's when the Eagles really started to take off. Yeah, I would assume that uh, you know that uh, Minshew will start the season as the quarterback. You know, have very little college experience. Uh, you know, was it 14, 15 starts at Florida for Richardson? Uh, so I think that would be kind of unfair to put him in a situation. And once again, I mean the Colts. As we mentioned many times last year during the football season, 
amazingly went from one of the best and most consistent offensive lines in the league to average at best. Eight, Kansas City Chiefs' Matt Nagy here. Uh, he's obviously a fil- familiar face with the Chiefs, so can he keep the Chiefs' offense afloat despite the personnel changes, despite Eric Bieniemy moving on? Uh, the wide receiver core has certainly changed again, so what innovation will he and Andy Reid, along with Patrick Mahomes, be able to come up with? This is going to be easy to answer. I mean, I'm sorry. I was never the biggest Eric Bieniemy fan. I wasn't against him. But how much did he actually do? I mean, he called plays a little bit, but that was taken away from him by Andy Reid, who went back to calling plays numerous times. Same thing happened you know, when you know, Nagy was there when he was, before he went to Chicago as the head coach. And so th- this is an Andy Reid production. Once again, though, a team that, you know, they've got new offensive tackles. So how's that going to work out? Uh, then you have the L.A. Chargers with Kellen Moore. Uh, how will the former Cowboys coordinator help Justin Herbert reach a new level? You'd have to think here that uh, Kellen Moore, after what we saw with him in his time with Dallas, he likes a more vertical attack and to be able to use Herbert's arm more so than what we saw in a Lombardi-led offense. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. I was never the biggest Lombardi fan yeah, I have always been a you know a Justin Herbert fan going back to his Oregon days and was I think uh, kind of in the minority uh, when he came out of college. And I liked him a lot and just didn't think he was properly used at Oregon. However, as I uh, will continue to point out until he proves me uh, you know, wrong, is Herbert has been not good at all. In some close game, late situations, if this were the NBA, they call it clutch time. If we call it the NFL, they don't have that, quote, clutch time thing. But he's been pretty bad in some very significant clutch time situations, including their season-ending losses the last two years, regular season against the Raiders, and then last year at Jacksonville. Uh, 10, the New England Patriots with Bill O'Brien. The question, can O'Brien help Mac Jones get back on track? For me, uh, I think Bill O'Brien has a lot to fix with the offense. It's not just Mac. I think it's a lot about Mac. I just don't think Mac's an NFL quarterback. And get back on track from what? Uh, His first, like, five, six games of his career? Because his first year, he wasn't good at all in the second half of the season. Last year, he wasn't very good. I think he was just a quarterback in the best situation humanly possible at Alabama. And I think he's a backup quarterback in the NFL if he's on a good team. Uh, 11, the New York Jets with Nathaniel Hackett. Can Hackett blend the skills of Rodgers and his former Green Bay mates with the Jets' holdover talent to form a potent offense? That's Mike Jones's question. I understand that, but once again, um, I'm going to go back to the offensive line situation, which you know, did not improve you know, with uh, with the Jets in the offseason, which you would have expected it would have either be a free agency. They certainly made a huge mistake figuring out uh, what they could do as far as their first-round draft pick. That didn't work out either. Uh, and uh, I don't care if it's Aaron Rodgers in his heyday, let alone Aaron Rodgers at this stage of his career – if you can't block for him, you're in trouble. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles with Brian Johnson. Can familiarity uh, position Jalen Hurts for even more growth is the question. 
Uh, yeah, definitely. And the fact that you know they're able to keep uh, their offensive line, which is you know really the, most of their key players, offense and defense, intact. Uh, yeah, I think the Eagles had the best. They had the most good players in the NBA, the NBA, the NFL last season. And I think heading at least as of right now, I think they have the more the most good players in any team in the NFL right now. And then uh, 13 here, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Dave Kinellis. Uh Can the rookie play caller get something out of Baker Mayfield as the Bucks start over? I keep forgetting Baker Mayfield is on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Well, you might forget about him entirely after this year. This is this seems to be headed for a disaster. Um, I can't imagine that Mayfield. I even forgot. I forget who the uh, the guy the guy that played in Florida, the Kyle Trask. Trask. Yeah, neither of those guys should not be. Neither should be NFL starting quarterbacks. Uh, number fourteen, the Tennessee Titans. Tim Kelly is the new offensive play caller. Uh, can the Titans' fourth play caller in six seasons figure out how to finally put some points on the board? Interestingly enough, though, is that Tim Kelly was promoted from within on a team that obviously struggled last year putting points on the board. Yeah, once again, I think with the Tanny Hill situation and the running back situation, you know, lots of speculation that you know, Derrick Henry might still be traded at some point here. And there's the Dalvin Cook thing out there now, if that happens. And uh, any team that has, you know, needs a running back, uh, the Dalvin Cook thing is going to be a prominent uh, topic of discussion because it sure seems like he's not going back to Minnesota. And you also have Will Levis looming there as well. Uh, who I can't stand. Well, I should rephrase that. He seemed, he, maybe he's a really nice guy. I didn't think he was a good college quarterback. I just completely the, – the draft pundits that said he was going to be the second quarterback picked and all that, I don't understand what they saw in college. He has a strong arm, inaccurate as hell, got beat up a lot. Um, I just don't understand what the – if he's a factor in the NFL, I'm just going to be wrong. 15, Washington Commanders, Eric Bieniemy. The question here from Mike Jones is Bieniemy as gifted an offensive mind, teacher, and leader as the Chiefs said that he was. Also keep in mind Sam Howell, the starting quarterback. I actually like Sam Howell. Uh, I liked him a lot at UNC when he had a full arsenal of players, receivers, and running backs. And both, you know, the, the, the running backs caught a lot of passes too. Uh, he was uh, definitely an NFL quarterback. I don't understand why he didn't get more than, I, I believe it was just one start this past season. He should have played more for sure. Uh, so I'm good with that. And uh, just once again, I've been saying this for many years running. I just don't quite understand what the deal is with Eric Bieniemy. Uh, I think he was just uh, in a situation where the offensive coordinator had to look good because of the quarterback in Andy Reid. So that's 15 new offensive play callers for the 2023 season. Obviously, some of them are new hires. Uh, some of them, are like from a their new head coaching hires that are also taking over the offensive play calling duties. Uh, some transitional things going on to try to revamp and reinvigorate the offense. 
Uh, it's interesting, though, because that's nearly half the teams in the league that have new offensive play callers. But I guess when there's so much premium and importance on the offensive side of the ball, if you're not moving the ball, uh, you have to make some changes. And it might be easier to make a change with a coordinator than all uh, 11 guys that suit up to make an offensive unit. And especially if you got, you know, how many teams have offensive line issues at the end of last season and still entering this next season? It's poll question time. We transition back to the NBA right here on Extra Point on KDOS AM 1060. Carving out time in your afternoon for the Doug Gottlieb Show right here on KDOS AM 1060, 100.7 HD2 and KDOS1060.com. Weekdays from 1 to 3 p.m. Eleven forty-three here on KDOS AM ten sixty. It is the extra point on this Monday, June fifth. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortellaro, with you up until noon today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Let's tackle today's poll questions, and we'll start with the KDOS ten sixty dot com poll question, which was the bigger reason Miami won Game Two. They've evened up the series one one as it as well. Better effort than Denver and making shots are the two options. I got to admit, I didn't really notice or think during the game that it was a lack of effort from Denver. I just thought that uh, you know, Miami executed. If you just want to use that fourth quarter, they had the 36 points in the fourth quarter, and they scored on 15 of 19 possessions. And I didn't think it was a ton of terrible defense. Uh, they made some shots. They made a whole bunch of shots, obviously. They made some free throws in that time, too. But... Yeah, you know, they did get into foul trouble right off the bat in uh, the fourth quarter. That certainly made it, it certainly helped Miami. But you know, I, I never at one time during the game thought this was a lack of effort from Denver. But Michael Malone just you know, burst into his press conference and criticized the team for a lack of effort. And in the finals, in the finals, in the finals, he said that a bunch of times. And that was pretty much the theme of his entire postgame press conference. So I'm going to say better effort that, yes, obviously hitting shots was an important part of this for the Miami Heat. Uh, it set the tone. You certainly had contributions early from Max Struess. You had contributions from Duncan Robinson late in the fourth. Uh, you had consistent contributions throughout the game from Gabe Vincent. Uh, and then, of course, Bam Adebayo. I thought he was good game one. He was good game two. Uh, really solid performance there from Bam Adebayo. But I'm going to say that this was effort because uh, we've come to see this from the Heat. Defensively, they can just turn things up a notch. Uh, and, and I guess for me, I wasn't totally surprised that we didn't see this level in game one. I just thought that there was going to be a level of uh, physical fatigue, mental fatigue after making it through game seven, how much time off that the Nuggets were going to have. I mean, you could always ask yourself the question, are the Nuggets going to come out rusty or are they just going to come out so explosive because they just want to play? And that's, I think, what we saw was just this over exuberance and the, the Heat weren't able to match that for various reasons at game one. But 
but with an, enough time off here in game two, I think we saw what the Heat do to people. Uh, they kind of wear you down a little bit, and I think when you look at how they started the first quarter and then, again, how they started uh, the fourth quarter, they just, those quarters, I think, were so key, and getting off to those starts, they were able to survive some lulls of scoring that they had throughout the game, which lulls for scoring for the Heat are something that has been uh, consistent throughout the regular season. So I'm just going to go here with uh, the effort. We knew adjustments were coming. Miami doesn't quit. We've seen this all playoffs long. Uh, maybe a little bit that Denver knew they have such a size advantage that they took their foot off the gas just a little bit. I don't know that it was taking the foot off the gas. I just think Miami came with more. I don't disagree with your answer there. So, uh, but you know, it's hard for me to just, uh, you know, shove aside the 14 of 19 possession they scored on in the fourth quarter, and they almost shot 50% from behind the arc. Better effort than Denver is 60% to the vote from the masses. Making shots is sitting at 40%. This is KDOS1060.com's poll question. Let's flip this on over to Twitter at KDOSAM1060. Uh, do you approve of the Suns hiring Frank Vogel? Uh, yes or no? I'm on the yes side of things here with this caveat. Of the available candidates, it seemed to be down to at the point in which he was hired, yes. Uh, but really, I think the overwhelming feeling that I have is that this was a bit of a lateral move. Uh, so, yes, I understand that Frank has a defensive mindset and he won a championship with the Lakers. So if you're looking at boxes that you want to check off, he comes with the ability to... Uh, get teams to the finals. I, they won in the bubble there with the Lakers and LeBron. Um, you, you have the ability to turn up uh, the defensive level of play and maybe defensive schemes that we didn't see previously with what Frank offers to the team here. So overall, though, I wasn't blown away by the hire, but that goes back to a question that I had maybe a week or two ago, and, and we both didn't really have a great answer, that were we going to have a feeling of being blown away by a hire, just kind of looking at who was out there and who was available. Um, and if you were going to fire Monty Williams and move in a different direction, it kind of almost felt like we weren't going to be blown away with whatever direction that they ended up going. Yeah, I don't think this is anywhere near a lateral move. I think this is a step back. Um, not a fan with Vogel. Yeah, he did win a championship with the Lakers in the bubble, but I don't think anybody thought the Lakers were going to win the championship before the bubble. And uh, the fact that you know he had a rested LeBron and a healthy LeBron and a healthy and rested Anthony Davis, that's why he won. And then two years later, it worked out horribly in Los Angeles, and he was out of work again. Uh, the masses are on the yes side of things at 69.2% of the vote, no sitting at 30.8%. This is on Twitter at KDUS AM 1060. Uh, you did have some news for me about the Braves uh, as they have optioned back Michael Sirocco, correct? They have. I'm a little surprised at this um, after two starts, and yeah, he actually pitched well in most of the innings. Uh, that he pitched in the two starts against Oakland and also the uh, against the Diamondbacks. 
And I thought, well, maybe they just have some off days and they want to make sure he's continuing to throw. And other than today, they have very few off days in the next, like, three, four weeks. So this has got to be either a health thing or uh, just a demotion based on what they've seen so far. Speaking of off days, the Diamondbacks are off today and they will take on the Nationals starting tomorrow. Uh, so far listed, Tommy Henry set to get the start. We have one more segment to go on this Monday, June 5th. It's happening next here on The Extra Point. Listener rewards for you with the KQS 1060 app. Download today to hear all of the national and local shows you love. That's the KDUS 1060 app. online at kdos1060.com and with the kdos 1060 app powered by superbook sports on this monday june 5th bob it's thank you time as always we thank you for listening special thanks to the callers emailers tweeters texters whatever else uh, might have slipped through the cracks uh also our guest today nba finals analysis also some Coaching uh, opinions, uh, including the Suns and Monty Williams going to pit, uh, going to uh, Detroit uh, with Sean Devaney of Heavy.com. Also, Sound of the Day, courtesy of ESPN, TNT, Bally Sports Arizona, Fox, WEEI in Boston, LAD 570, uh, WFAN, and also KBME in Houston. Uh, special thanks, as always, to Kayla, Corey, and Aaron. And Kayla's going to tell us what's coming up next. Up next from noon to 1 o'clock, it is Sports Map Radio Network, followed by the Doug Gottlieb Show from 1 to 3, the Rich Eisen Show from 3 to 5, and the Sports Who with Dave Rooster Bierstein from 5 to 6, and Monday Night Golf with Ray Adams from 6 to 7, all here on KDOS AM 1060. So we kind of follow along here with what's going on uh, viewership-wise, and the NBA playoffs have enjoyed uh, some major success with some of the NBA playoff numbers here. 11.036 million viewers for game one of the Heat and the Nuggets game from Thursday night. It's down from the Celtics and the Warriors game one last year. But while it's down, I feel like this number actually isn't nearly as much of a disaster as uh, many were predicting for a Miami and a Denver series here. Uh, just considering the two teams, the two markets, and then game one wasn't close. So 11.036 million for game one. Uh, obviously, you also have, when you're comparing it to last year, the market sizes and the teams of the Celtics and Warriors, too. I agree with that analysis. I'll add, though, if this were a weeknight game and not a Sunday night standalone game when there's like one baseball game going on at the same time and, you know, like I said, it's, you know, it's a rounding out the weekend type of thing, and I'm guessing – some people run out of energy as the weekend continues. I'm guessing that the ratings would not have been as high if this were like a Wednesday or Friday night game, too. 
Uh, we also continue with the NBA theme here. Uh, Steven Silas, he was the former Houston Rockets head coach. There were some reports here about him joining the Celtics staff, but it looks like he's actually going to be joining Monty Williams' staff in Detroit. Speaking of the Celtics, it looks like they are going to hire Sam Cassell to their coaching staff. He was uh, with the Clippers from 2014 to 2020 and with the 76ers from 2020 to 2023. So some assistant coaches uh, going to new places in that front yeah sam cassell uh, i've mentioned this a few times i would never imagine when he was playing back in the day that he'd be a head coach but uh yeah he's highly thought of in the assistant coaching world so uh, uh we'll see I, I assume he would he aspires to be a head coach someday but uh an assistant and uh he might be the quasi head coach uh you know what we've seen from the celtics here of really the last couple of years, even when they went to the finals, I didn't think that uh, there was exactly uh, some of the right moves that particular year. But obviously, Missoula had a really, I think, bad coaching postseason. The Phoenix Mercury lost to the Sparks Friday night, 99-93 to in overtime. They'll play next Wednesday against the Wings in Dallas. Uh, moving on into the world of football, you have the Bills and defensive tackle Ed Oliver reaching a four-year, $68 million extension with $45 million guaranteed. In addition to that, the Bills also signed Leonard Floyd to a one-year deal. Yeah, Leonard Floyd's uh, always going to get a job, and he kind of the uh, – I can't remember which uh, – the even-odd thing he's got going here. He's he, he's really good uh, every other year, basically. And uh, I don't remember if he was particularly good this past season. Uh, so we'll see what happens with that. I'm a little surprised that they went the long term with Oliver, who has not exactly been consistently well-received uh, as far as uh, you know, just by the – the the you know, just the eye tests and the metrics gurus who rate the defensive linemen. The Bills also this morning had their stadium groundbreaking ceremony uh, for Minnesota and Dalvin Cook. It looks like they're headed for a divorce. It seemed like it was happening over the weekend, and here we are Monday. Nothing yet taking place. Yeah, well, they extended Alexander Madison's contract. When you extend the contract to the backup running back, that's probably not a good sign for the starter. Not usually. As always, we appreciate you taking time out of your day listening to us right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Everyone have yourselves a fantastic rest of the Monday. The Sports Zone with Bob Kemp with you tomorrow at 9 a.m.